Very early on in the Book of Mormon, we see Nephi confronted with a terrible decision, that is, the killing of Laban in order to obtain the plates of brass. We see him struggling with the spirit and struggling with his own mind when it came to this decision. How did Nephi feel about it? And more importantly, how do we as readers feel about it as we watch a young man struggle with a terrible choice? Join us today in this class where we talk about the killing of Laban and the answering of prayers in order to obtain the greater good. Welcome to the Hidden Treasures podcast, where we explore the rich doctrines of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. Drawing on both inspired teachings and the latest research, we examine closely the revealed scriptures of the Restoration. Of course, opinions expressed here do not constitute official pronouncements of the Church or its leaders. These classes are recorded live and taught by Kevin Hinckley. Thank you for taking a moment to subscribe and leave us a comment. And now, on to today's class. Okay, let's, uh, let's begin uh, today. It's been kind of a fun one. Um, one of the things that I've noticed, uh, culturally, we are an interesting group as Latter-day Saints, and some of it is just the way it uh, has worked out, and some of it is our culture and the way that uh, things have been handled in the past. But we, but we live under kind of a, a culture of certainty. Uh, over the, the years, we like things to be certain, and we're going to know. So uh, if, if we're not careful, we can tend to re towards the quick Sunday school answers. We're looking for the answer. And if, if people have two different answers, that's not right. We have to come up with the Sunday school answer until we figure that thing out because everything has the answer to it, okay? Uh, and that's why we like things like clear formulas. You need to get a, you, you've got a prayer that needs to be answered, whether you should move to Bismarck or whether you should buy a new car uh, or you should have more kids. We always have the same prayer formula, which is if it's gonna be true, then it is, then you're gonna get what? Burning, and if it's not true, a stupor. And we're going to try and use this formula given to Oliver Cowdery to help translate the Book of Mormon. And we're going to use trying to decide if we should move to Illinois or not. You know, 200 years later, but we love the formula. We can figure it out. We can teach it to our kids. Use the formula, okay? And anything beyond that. How about Moroni 10, 4, and 5? How do you know that the church is true? But we go back to Oliver Cowdery's formula. The formula wasn't the burning. That was just a tiny part of the formula. The formula was study it out. Yeah, yeah. Under it. Don't just ask me. That's right. 
and yet how many times from the pulpit or wherever else, it's like burning or stupor, burning, did you get burning, stupor? I don't know, okay. Should I marry you, burning or stupor? I'm still waiting on that stupor, okay. And I'm getting the burning, okay. You know, uh, I just had jalapenos, but I, I assume that's the answer, okay. Um, and, and again, the answer, Moroni 10, 4 and 5, just read the Book of Mormon, you'll get an answer. What happens if you don't get an answer? The burning. Well, go back and read again. <laughs> you know, missionaries are like, wait, you didn't get the answer? Well, then read more. And then read more. And then read more. Okay? Uh, and that's why it, with this idea of certainty, we're going to get up and we're going to say, with every fiber of my being, I want to know rock solid with every, beyond a shadow of a doubt, and doubt not, fear not, and I know this is the true church, and I know as firmly if I was in that grove, I would know as much as Joseph Smith did, because I know for every, okay? And at the same time, we keep reading in the scriptures that talks about faith is the substance of what? Things hoped for, hope for the essence of things not seen. Oh, that's weird. <laughs> Suddenly, faith is things that we can't see and don't know. We what do we know for sure? We feel peace. We feel things. We're, I mean, it's, it's that Alma 32 kind of experience where we, it starts to grow and it feels delicious to us and that propels us forward. Now, I would say unto you, is your faith perfect? No, it's not. It, in, in that thing, that thing that you feel. But in the church, we have wanted certainty. And we're going to double down when we want things to be for sure. And what, so what happens when we struggle with things like some doubts? Well, that's not certain. <laughs> a doubt is not knowing. That's, that's a bad thing. Some people keep feeding those doubts, Well, yeah, so the question is, and actually we're going to talk about this a little bit, what happens when you have questions and we have doubts? I've kind of joked before that if somebody were to stand up in a gospel doctrine class and say, you know, I'm having some doubts about this or this or this, I can guarantee you within 30 seconds someone on the other side of the classroom would say, I know beyond any certain, you know, any moment of doubt, I know it's true. And I'm rah, 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 because we're going we're gonna to push down doubts and questions with certainty and not give ourselves to ask questions. Yeah? So I know that some of us thought that this uh, phrase originated with Ronald Reagan, trust but verify. Yeah. No, that re originated with the Lord. <laughs> Then he wanted us to also do the work. Yeah. Yeah, what happens, by the way, when we get locked into so much certitude about things, and we believe we know, and we don't have to, and we just know? What happens in terms of honestly questioning? What happens to learning from other people? I don't have to learn from other people. I know. Are we going to keep looking? Are we going to keep asking? No, when we land on certainty, we start pushing out inquiry, questioning, looking, learning, humility, because we're going to stand on absolute certainty. And, and when we get into scriptural stuff, we're going to find out that there are different ways to look at things, and that should push us to ask and ask questions. All of the doctrine and covenants was received because they had what? Faith. 
Questions? Every time. Yeah. We do stop caring. We don't have to look because we know. Okay? And, and so part of what we're going to be looking to try and do here is have the ability then to, especially when we're starting to look at the scriptures, we can, uh, we can start to ask some questions and not assume that we know what we're looking at. Is that, is that fair? Okay, so let's, so, so this is really a good place to start with that. I tend to look at the Book of Mormon as like this beautiful mansion and it's got all kinds of rooms and different places and places to be and there's little passageways in between some of the rooms and some of the rooms are kind of dark and some are really cool. They're the, you know, the sun rooms and stuff like that, okay? And so the Book of Mormon is like this fabulous place to play and learn and, and see things. But isn't it interesting that every person, if you're going to start reading the Book of Mormon, you're going to come in through the front door. And within the first few chapters of the Book of Mormon, right in the, right in the entryway to the Book of Mormon, what do we run into? What's one of the first things you've got to come face to face with in First uh, Nephi 3 and 4? Laman and Lemuel first, struggling that, and then right behind that comes even a tougher one, Laban, and the killing of Laban. And it's like, this looked like a really nice place to walk into. You ought to read the Book of Mormon. It's very cool. All right, I'm going to read the Book of Mormon. We come walk in, it's like, wow, there's a defenseless drunk man that gets his head chopped off in the first few chapters. And if you think about it, the place or his property. Yeah, yeah, hold on to that idea. We're going to come back to that in a sec. Okay? And now we're having to say, well, and, and, and so what is, the, what is the gospel doctrine answer to, wow, we got a, a youth that took a sword and chopped off the head of a drunk, defenseless man lying in the street. What's the gospel doctrine answer? God told him to do it. Oh, well, that's helpful. It's better that one perish. Yeah, so God told him to go ahead. So I'm going to kill him because God told me to. How well does that play these days in our modern sensibilities? It's okay that he chopped his head off. Why? Because God told him to. Oh. It's an insanity plea now. It's kind of an insanity plea. <laughs> You'd get off on that one, wouldn't you? But they would still probably lock you up. Because you and that sword are kind of dangerous because we don't know what God's going to tell you next. Okay, so that's a, you know, but we're, be careful about being too fast to jump over this stuff and go, well, we, we lock in because there's like some uncomfortableness. This is a prophet here who's killing defenseless people. I mean, even David hit him with the rock before he cut his head off. <laughs> okay, oh, and was trying to defend an army, but this is like a drunk guy. Okay, so, so in order to take a look at this and give it some heft, I think we have to see the whole thing in, in context, but I'm, we're still not going to answer, was it the right thing to do? How about that? How does that just leave that question? Yeah. I was there other options? I have a non-member friend that we were reading, we saw the video. Yeah. When they took their precious things from his palace, 
he stole the things and sent the guards to kill him. So she said, he was right. <laughs> yeah. Right? Okay. That's why I say we may find that there's several ways to look at this, but our certainty wants to say we want one answer. Okay? So let's, let's set this up because there are just so many lessons that, that come out of this thing. I was going to like go through several chapters and I couldn't get past chapter four. Yeah? Well, I noticed in the reading for the Come Follow Me, the Lord commands Abraham to lie about Sarah. Mm -hmm. Yeah, he's your sister. No, so, so. oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, okay. So you're going to wrestle with that, okay? And it might have just been that this is an old text. It might be that how, what really happened. It might have been exactly that. And that's okay to have a variety of views as we look at this. Enough that you could kind of that righteous people would debate both sides. Okay. All right. So we have this beautiful place. So let's. So. The, uh, one other thing I want to remind you is we kind of set the stage for what's happening there in the dark streets of Jerusalem in 600 AD or BC. Okay? Now remember these events, the leaving Jerusalem and obtaining the place, it, this story is actually going to be told in some way multiple times. The first time this story is going to be told or at least some aspect of it from Lehi traveling it's going to be first recorded where? In the large plates. Remember the large plates of Nephi was that overall history of the, of the Nephites. It's the big history. It's the big history book the large plates are. Okay? And then, uh, then we're, it's going to get told a second time by who? The Mormon abridgment. Mormon's going to come through and abridge what was written in the big history book, and he's going to and he's going to get it all together, and he's going to put it together on the plates for Joseph Smith to translate somewhere down the road. Okay. Now. The problem, of course, is that wonderful abridgment from Lehi all the way to Moroni that Joseph had, and Joseph starts translating, and they're cooking along, and then along comes who? Martin Harris. You know, I missed my daughter's wedding. I didn't plant crops in Palmyra. Uh, I've been gone for a while. My wife is freaking out, and dang it, I need to show her something. I'm not down in harmony being strange. So he, you know, ask, 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 ask. He finally takes, we think, several hundred pages. Uh, 116 pages is kind of where the page they were in the book. Okay? So there's actually more than 116 pages, but we call it 116 pages. Now, 116 pages. And those get lost. We don't know what happened to them. It's always blamed on Lucy Harris who on her deathbed as a stout Quaker says, I didn't take them, I didn't burn them, it wasn't me. <laughs> so we're going to take a devout Quaker on her word that it wasn't Lucy Harris, but we don't know who did it. So the story is then going to be told again from Lehi all the way to Mosiah. Where is it going to be told? The small plates. That's right. 
This is the more personal diaries, if you will, of the prophets. <coughs> and they're going to tell, and Joseph Smith is going to take the, that diary version and he's going to put it from 1 Nephi to Mosiah before we get, pick up on Mormon's abridgment. Okay? And we, this clear? We get this? Sometimes we get a little bit. Okay? Now there's also another version. Who else would tell the story of what happened in that dark streets of Jerusalem? The Lamanites, they had their version. What's their version? <laughs> Nephi ripped us off. <laughs> you know, he, we tried to beat him with a rod and slow him down, but he wouldn't listen, so we, you know, he conjured up some angel thing and stole our birthright. They have their story. Okay? And by the way, how long did that story last? Forever. A thousand years. How many people died because of that story? Thousands and thousands and thousands. How you tell the story is kind of important. Okay? So, we, so we are given no choice but to deal directly while we're standing here in this passageway. We're given no choice but to deal directly, not just with the event, but with Nephi's feelings and deliberations in obtaining the plates of brass. Yeah. You missed the Zoramite version. Zoram would have a story. <laughs> That's right, absolutely. I know, hoodwinked him, kidnapped him, said he'd beat us up, or maybe kill us, and forced us to go. Now, by the way, this is one of the reasons that prompted the detailed story, I think, in the small place by Nephi trying to say, let me explain. There are, it's like the beginning of the uh, Joseph Smith story that we have in the Pearl of Great Price. He gets ready to write the story of the church, and he says, given the false stories that have been circulating about, <laughs> I'm, I'm going to set the record straight. Well, I think that's part of what was driving Nephi in the small plates decades later to say, given the stories circulating by the Lamanites and the Zoramites and the stories they're telling, let me tell you the real story. He's going to put it down deliberately. But let me ask you this. One last part of it. If what we had got was either the large plates or, or the Mormon abridgment, in all likelihood, did those two stories give us all of Nephi's thoughts and struggles with the spirit while he's standing over Laban? Probably not. You know, for all we know, Mormon might have said, yeah, the boys went, it was difficult, they got the plates and they came home. For all we know, if he's just, he's got a small amount of plates to ride on, he might have just whoop, gone right by it. He might have pulled from, from Nephi, that's possible. But it's also just as possible get, this gets glossed over. And we don't have this battle between Nephi and the spirit. That we have blessed, we are really blessed with this conversation because it actually came out on the small plates. And who do we have to thank for that? Nephi? Martin Harris. <laughs> oh, there we go. <laughs> 
Thank you, Martin, <laughs> for, for, for losing the play, for losing the papers, because now we got this stuff, which is actually, and, and that we could do a whole lesson on what we gain by having the small plates as opposed to Mormon's version, because there's a lot of things in terms of Isaiah and definitely Jacob 5. Yeah. So I'm confused. I, I never had the impression that uh, there was a limited amount of the Book of Mormon to be translated and that after the small plates were, or the 116 pages were lost, that what was to be translated got expanded. It, well, it really didn't get expanded. Remember, we have, when we get to Words of Mormon, he's going to say, I, I, I copied these from the small plates and I dropped them in. I don't know why I did it, but there they are for a purpose known to God. Because at the moment he does that, they still have the whole story from beginning to end. So if, the, if the 116 pages haven't been lost, yeah. then First Nephi would have just been page 117. If, first, if, if those 116 pages hadn't have been lost, First Nephi would sound like Messiah 1. And then Nephi did this, and then Lehi did this. In other words, it, his abridgment is what was lost. And, that, and, and, that, and that's why I say he's moving pretty quick as he's going over that. And so when that part was lost, then Doctrine and Covenants, the Lord says, don't retranslate that part. Drop in this stuff. Oh, okay, I'll drop in that stuff. All right, from the small plates. That's nice. There we go. Which, which, by the way, my little area of doubt and question, and I've mentioned this before, I'm still not quite sure what role the plates played. Because <laughs> th this part is carefully copied, it's put there, it's in there with the plates, and so Joseph Smith is going to now use the plates to translate. Where are the plates while Joseph's translating? On the table, under a, under a uh, handkerchief or cloth, He's not even looking at the plates. The Book of Mormon's a revelation, but apparently he couldn't do it without the plates nearby. Cindy thinks it's Bluetooth. <laughs> <laughs> they just had to be within range of the plates, and then it's flowing some, I don't know. <laughs> it's weird how that works. Okay, but, but what I do know is that again, from the, because we have just this small part of the, this part of the first Nephi, in Nephi's own words and not Mormon's abridgment, now I think we have far greater detail than we ever would have had. So we should be grateful to Martin Harris for that. Okay. Now, here's what, uh, here's what Nephi hears in the wilderness. So, so let, let's set this up because the, the, the major thrust on this, hold on here. I'm gonna back out of here for just a second. Before I do this, I wanna do animations. <coughs> Nothing like editing on the fly, okay. So here's what Nephi is going to hear in the wilderness. Remember, right after the fact, this is in 2nd Nephi, or 1st Nephi 2, for those of you following along. After, after the boys are complaining a bit, and they seem to have hard hearts, and they're murmuring a bunch, remember Nephi says, okay, I'll go get my own testimony. So he goes off into the wilderness, the Lord speaks to him, and here's what he's hearing. 
And if you, Nephi, keep the commandments, then what happens? He's going to get two major promises. To begin with, you, ye, you, shall prosper and shall be led to a land of promise, even a land which I prepared for you, a land which is choice above all other lands. That's nice. We're in the Judean desert next to the Red Sea. It would be nice to go to a choice land. <laughs> this ain't all that great. It's a desert. But it is interesting that it's, it's, a, it's a choice above all other lands, but it's not Israel. And we're Jews. This isn't supposed to work this way. In addition, now, if that, I'm going to lead you there. In addition, and, and the red is my little additions here. N nothing more bold than people thinking they can rewrite the Book of Mormon. <laughs> I know, it takes a certain amount of chutzpah. <laughs> In addition, if thy brothers... If thy brethren shall rebel against thee, they shall be cut off from the presence of the Lord. And if they're cut off, what are they going to lose? The birthright. So if that happens, then what? Well, then you get promise number two. If that happens, and you keep my commandments, then thou shalt be made a ruler and a teacher over the brethren. Because the reality is, if Laman and Lemuel had been righteous and they had obeyed the Lord and they had, chances are they'd have been Nephi. But they weren't going to be Nephi and sticking to the Old Testament tradition that the oldest brothers, you know, kind of screw things up on a regular basis and who ends up ruling over them? Yeah. The younger brothers. Okay. Kind of weird how that works. Okay. Yeah. prophetic line. Well, I think they would have been entitled. They were promised they could be the rulers of the people so long as they heeded the counsel of the prophet. Right. And Nephi was just going to be the prophet and not the ruler of the people unless the people who were the rulers of the people failed to heed the counsel of the well, prophet. Well, and, and it, it, that could be. And it, it, but, but generally, if you're going to be the ruler, you're also generally going to be the prophet. Look at King Benjamin. Unless somebody's going to be unrighteous. Now, it's, it's really possible that it might have been that way. But you get the impression from here that says, okay, I'm going to lead you to a land of promise. Now, if they skunk out on us, <laughs> then you're going to end up being both, right? You're going to be the ruler and a teacher. And again, King Benjamin is probably a good example of that. Yeah? So he's... He becomes the ruler, but really he's only the ruler for 10 or 20 years. And then they have a war. Yep. And, and the people that he's ruling uh, either kick him out or, he, or they leave. Yeah. And so he's no longer ruling now. Yeah. Well, he, he gets to rule over his people because they got to leave town. So technically he's going to be the first, he's going to be a king over his people. He's a ruler over thy brother, which is the Nephi. Yeah. Hold Hold on and see where this goes, because Nephi doesn't hear this completely, or he get or there's more here than what he writes. That that's why there's more here, and because you're going down the right road, 
Okay? Now, if that happens, you keep my commandments, then you should be made a ruler and a teacher over the brethren. And in that day that they rebel against me, I'll curse them with a sore curse. And they'll have no power over thy seed, except they shall rebel against me also. Okay, so I'm going to take all of that rulership thing. Remember, he's trying to, he's trying to dispel the story they're telling in the promised land. Okay, I'm going to lay this out here. Okay. And if it so be that they rebel against me, they shall, they will have a role. They're going to be a scourge unto thy seed. Okay. All right. So now the stage is set. So he's going to roll. So in his mind, it's about doing what? Obey the commandments. Obey the commandments. And, and in his mind, as he's walking away, this, this young boy who's big in stature, you know, and, and he just laser focused. If I keep the commandments, then what happens? I get a promised land and I get to be a, I get to be a ruler over, over the people. Well, that's kind of cool. If you're like, I don't know, let, let's say that he was like 18 or 19. Which thing are you hearing the most? More than likely. You like that ruler thing. Especially if the, your older brothers are, you know, they try to beat you with a rod. They're murmuring a lot. But the cool thing is, is that, hey, I get to be a ruler. And that's what sticks in Nephi's head. As long as I keep the commandments with a laser focus. And so, Lehi is going to say, the Lord hath commanded me, Lehi, that thou and thy brother should go to, unto the house of Laban and seek the records. Okay? And, and... And you know what? Your brothers are murmuring. It's a hard thing they're saying of them, but I haven't required it, but it is a commandment of the Lord. Ding! Ding! Oh, what do I know about commandments? Land. Ruler. It's a commandment? Okay, now what? Bring up the music. Therefore, my son... Go and thou, and this was, the, I think this was the, maybe an unfortunate choice of words on Lehi's part. Thou art favored. If you're keeping the commandments, now you're favored. Okay, to a young boy with dreams of whatever, favoring is maybe a little dangerous. Thou shalt be favored the Lord because thou hast not murmured. You're better than your brothers. You're going to be favored, they're not. Wow, okay, now. Bring up the music even more. What are we going to hear? Think about the primary song. And it came to pass, I said unto my father, I will go, I will do the things the Lord commands. <laughs> yeah? The part about Le uh, Lehi telling him he would be favored of the Lord if he did this. Yeah. Could it possibly be that that was to help hold him up a little? Yeah, she, she, the youngest. Right. He, he's got these brothers. He's got all this. I know what you're saying, but he still, if he's that young, he I know. Still, and he's he probably has no clue that he's going to be asked to murder to kill someone. Oh, he has no. Yeah, that's right. We're about to go into a stretch where keeping the commandments is going to lead him down a road he had no idea he was going down. I just think it's a little bit of an unfortunate word, and I'll bet Lehi would l rather have had that word back. Can you imagine if you stood up in sacrament meeting and said, those of you who keep the commandments are favored <laughs> over those who murmur? Oh, all right. 
Well, we're the favored people and you're not. <laughs> you're complaining a bit. Okay? Yeah. So I, I, I'm not finding the personality of me by the same that I was certain of. Yes, me, me neither. Yeah, it's not so good. You know, and we see leaders all the time who really want the people to have a good leader enough that they're willing to be that leader. And we see that as uh, often we see leaders who really want to be the leader right. Yeah, ne ne Nephi, Nephi's not a power monger, and, and I, I don't want it to sound like that. I think he's a bit naive, though, because I think in his young, and, and, and if you watch carefully, his rhetoric with his brothers softens over time, as he especially as the Spirit starts to teach this young lad. And this naivety, I'll agree with that, that we see this naivety, but the reason we see it is because Nephi is sharing with us his formative moments. Yeah. And if we look back at ourselves and our formative moments, yep. and if we share those with other people, yep. they're going to say, oh, you were naive. Yeah, because I'm telling you what I learned. That's right. After I didn't know it. And sometimes that naiveness combined with some zeal, I means sometimes we come across a little stronger maybe than we wish, and we look back and go, I wish I could have said that a little bit differently. I, I mean, I think back to some of my experiences with my own kids, and it's like I speak out of zeal and maybe a little bit, of, but, but I, if I'm forming over time, I, I start to say things a little bit differently as I gain a little bit more maturity. And I think we get to see Nephi on this ark. We get to see him change, okay? But, so he's gonna come rolling out of this though. He's, they're on their way up to that, uh, um, 150, 200 miles that they've got to go back up to Jerusalem, back over the Judean desert uh, to, to go do this. So this keeping the commandments motif. Um, now, we're going to keep the commandments, dang it, and so I'm going to, we've we got to go get the plates, and how are we going to go get the plates? The first thing we're going to do based on this is that we're going to cast lots. Now, I, we've talked about this a little bit in the past, but just a reminder, what does it mean to cast lots in this, in this um, tradition? It's, it's not voting. Casting lots meant back then. L let's say that we have l like l like a, a group of sticks here. Okay. Now the belief was 
in that tradition, one of the ways to do this was that you would throw it into the air, and then when it lands, the one that the stick is pointing at is the one that has to go do the thing, okay? Or if they were pulling it out of here, it's still a sense of, we're gonna pull it out. But isn't that random? Yeah, like rolling the die. We're going to roll the dice. Isn't that random? It's only random if you don't believe that God's involved. That's right. That's right. And that's what was happening here. The idea of casting lots, however they did it, and, and, we're pretty, and, and that's why uh, we think that's what happened at Masada, by the way, the little broken shards that were going to determine the last of the last ten guys who was going to have to then kill their families and the last guy would kill the other nine and then he would kill himself. So only one person has to commit suicide, which is a whole other story, okay? And, but we had those shards. But the idea was that God would be involved. However we're going to cast lots, it's God saying Laman should go because God is somehow involved in the casting of which straw was drawn or which stick was pointing or however that worked. God was involved. So traditionally they're doing what they would be the best way to do this is that we're going to cast lots and surprise, surprise, guess who's called? The eldest. Shocker. Okay. And it's your job to be the first one to go confront Laban uh, to go ahead and do this. So Laban is called. Uh, he, he's the one that got drew the, the inspired Long stick or short stick or shard or whatever it was, okay? Now, Laban's response in saying no to him is an interesting one. Uh, did he say, you're a thief? No, he says, thou art a robber. What's the difference between a thief and a robber? Thieves steal stuff. What are robbers stealing? Yeah, no, robbers are stealing authority. A robber is going to come stealing some status, stealing some something. Okay? In a lot of cases, that's what robber meant. You're taking something that will really not diminish me financially. You're diminishing something authority, knowledge-wise, something like that. Okay? So he was putting some um, status on the fact that he had the, the brass plates, more than likely. Does that make sense? Okay? That were a robber. Okay. Oh, because if it's just about financial stuff, what, then it would, and they didn't necessarily catch this. So what's the next step? Buy it. Buy it. Oh, we got gold and silver. Oh, that's right. Okay. All right. So we're going to buy the plates. Okay. Um, and then that doesn't work. So now, now listen to Nephi. As the, when, when that doesn't work out. And they chase him out and they steal their gold. As the Lord liveth and as we live. That's an oath. Here comes the oath. As the Lord liveth, we will not go down unto our Father until we have accomplished the thing which the Lord hath commanded us. For I know that the Lord giveth no commandment unto the children of men. And it came to pass that after this manner of language did I now. I'm trying to persuade my brethren. Okay? A little bit of a softening here. Okay? I did persuade my brethren that they might be faithful in doing what I'm telling them to do. I'm going to persuade them to do what? Keep the commandments, what the Lord is telling you to do. It's not about me, it's about the commandments. Ah, well, all right. We'll say no and try and hit you with a rod. <laughs> okay, well, then I'm, but I'm trying, right? I'm trying to get you guys to keep the commandments. All righty. Okay, so 
Option three, after the angel. <clears throat> Doing it the traditional way didn't work. Appealing to uh, gold and silver, appealing to that didn't work. So what's option number three? How do we accomplish what we need to do? How are we going to do this? After explaining to the brothers that God would slay Laban. Yeah. So in this case, the, op the angel comes and talks to Laban and Lebanon. Okay, in Abraham's case, the angel came and our, in a dream and talked to the kings and said, no, don't, don't take Abraham's wife. Uh, right. A bunch of money. Right. So would it have been convenient for the angel to just go talk to Laban? Hey. Right? Right? Yeah. I know, yeah. <laughs> if you want to keep your head. <laughs> uh, no, you're right. And so after explaining to the brothers that God would slay Laban, then, then the third option, and, and by the way, there's a, we could spend a lot of time, there's a cautionary tale here about how we get answers. It really is. You're going to do it the traditional way, you're going to do it according to common sense, or the next step is going to be to do what? Now, I, Nephi, crept into the city. And by the way, he says, I'm going to, I'm going to leave the boys outside the walls. And I had them hid themselves out here. Because I've got a picture somehow the boys kind of going, all right, we'll wait here. <laughs> let, let us know when you die so we can head home. <laughs> We still don't think this is going to work. Do you think it's going to work? <laughs> Not in a million years. Okay, Nephi, you go get him, buddy. Okay, and he says, no, the Lord is going to kill him just like Moses had the, Neph the Egyptians killed and stuff like that. It's going to be good, but I, I have no idea what I'm doing. Think how many callings you've ever gone into in your life where you go, I got no clue how I'm going to pull this off. Okay? Yeah. I just think it's, still think it's funny that the Nephi says that God will kill Laban as God killed the Egyptians by drowning them in the Red Sea, and then he finds Laban who has drowned himself in the Red Sea of wine. <laughs> yeah, that's true. That's true. Okay? Uh, so he creeps in. I was led by the Spirit, not knowing beforehand the things I should do. Okay? Not knowing beforehand the things I would do. I had no idea. God's just going to take him out. And instead, I got to take him out. Now, Nephi's reaction is really interesting. And remember, this is Nephi's telling of the story decades later. Nevertheless, I went forth, and I came near unto the house of Laban. I beheld Laban. He had fallen to the earth, and he was drunken with wine. He's drowning. Okay? And it came to pass that I was constrained by the spirit that I should kill Laban. But I said in my heart, never any time I shed the blood of a man. Uh, law of Moses says don't do this. And I shrunk and would not that I would slay him. Now, let me suggest something for just a second. The Sunday school answer on this, and I have given it in my, in my years in teaching this part, is to take the word constrained. I was constrained by the Spirit. And what we quickly do is we hop over to the 1828 Webster's edition, the dictionary for the word constrained. And we use, and a lot of times uh, 
Book of Mormon scholars will look at the 1828 Webster's because now it's kind of in Joseph's language. So you get a chance how certain words might have been used. And interestingly enough, constrained, which is a participle passive for English people, urged irresistibly or powerfully compelled or forced. So we say, well, the spirit was compelling him, forcing him, urging him to kill Laban. Remember how we like certainty? There's a second option here. It does mean restrained, confined, bound. Is there another, is there another possible way? And, and we don't know for sure. There are two possible ways of looking at this. And I'm not sure I know which one. I don't know. But I just think we need to be open that there maybe have been two possibilities here. First of all, I was, I was pushed by the spirit that I should kill Laban. I was held back by the spirit that I should kill Laban. Maybe. I don't know. And I think it's debatable. And I think you could, I think you could make credible arguments either way. That I was held back by, I was saying, I think I should kill Laban. And the spirit's going, well, hold back. Think about this. Put this together. Don't know. Okay? Could, could go either way. Go a little further and it takes any question away. Yeah? Okay, and th there's going to be another argument that's going to come, yeah. Well, when Alma and Amulek were watching the people get thrown into the fire, and Amulek said, let's stop to this, and Alma said, the spirit constrains me. Yeah, I'm held back in that case, aren't I? What's happening is, Nephi has a course he'd like to take. Yes, or thinks he that should. Is, that is to not kill Laban. Right, right. Or I just need you to think about it. Walk through this process because I'm asking you to do something that's really difficult. Okay? Notice that when Abraham is getting ready to sacrifice Isaac, you're going to have a place where an angel is going to come and we're going to have a discussion. Think about you're going to be asked to do something difficult. And that may include a thoughtful, prayerful process of walking through this. Okay? Uh, and I, I just think it's, uh, and again, I don't think there's a, a clear answer on this. Now, what did the Lord tell him? Well, he argues with the Spirit. The Spirit says, yes, what's got to happen here? Okay? Now, when I, Nephi, had heard these words saying, you need to do it, you know, it's better that one man should, you know, die unbelief. Okay, got all those kind of things. Got it. Um, now, remember, here's what he says, and, and I, I just think this is fascinating because I want you to see that there's a change that has occurred here. He's going to say, when I, after, after going back and forth with the Spirit, I, Nephi, had heard these words. I remembered the Lord which he spake unto me in the wilderness, saying what? Insomuch as thy seed shall keep the commandments, they shall prosper in the land. Okay? How did he tell that story originally? Here, I'll remind you from chapter 2. If you keep my commandments, you will prosper in the land. Yea, even the land of promise that I have prepared. Whoa! 
Look at this shift that has, has occurred here. When he first hears these words, what he walks away from, what he records is, if I keep the commandments, what will happen? I will prosper. Now what he's remembering at this critical moment, whether, whether he should have to kill Laban or not, now how has that changed just a little? Who's going to prosper? His seed. Suddenly it's, less, it's a little less about him. Watch the maturing process. It's a little less about him, and it's now more about what? His seed. Those are going to come next. Yeah. So in Texan, you translate ye to y'all. Y'all. All y'all. Yes. Either one. Yeah, and that's right. He was reading y'all the first time, and now he's hearing and remembering all. Oh, oh, oh it's y'all. It's all y'all. <laughs> Yes, yeah, and suddenly now the sweet begins to be this, again, it's a little less about me. You're watching this maturing thing, and it's happened in a relatively quick period of time. Now it's about the generations that are going to come after you that will be impacted by what you choose to do here. We talked about him, uh, this is causing him to stop and think. Yeah. This conversation with himself. I, I think that... Uh, in Abraham's case and also in this case that the Lord wanted him to be sure and not just blindly follow it yeah. but know for a certainty so you don't have doubt after this is over Yeah. So that you can go forward in confidence because you've gone through this personal struggle well look at, look at what happens with this personal struggle because here now trying to weigh what he's going to do the rhetoric changes just a little bit Listen closely to this rhetoric. Yea, and I also thought, hmm, that, they, that my seed, in order to keep the commandments, according to the law, they should have the law, need the law. Hmm, and I also knew. So you're watching this thoughtful, logical process. It isn't like, again, it wasn't just that the, the Spirit said, kill Laban, so he does. Now he's having to think his way through this. There is his, his, his own understanding of things is now being inspired, I think. Uh, and I also knew that the law was engraven on the plates of brass. And again I knew, see him doing it? I'm just, in other words, the process of following the commandments is not just react and do it. He's saying, I'm hearing the Spirit, I feel it, and then I'm going to think my way through it. That This is in our heart and in our mind, this is where you, you watch this balance occurring. Yeah. And I think that's why he was constrained by the Spirit, so he could figure this out. I think so too. And, that's, and, and I agree with you. I think that's one of those reasons where I think this constraint might have been, you may still need to do this, but think it through. So that you're on, that's right. Because I'm not just having you do it. I'm teaching a prophet to be how to respond to problems. And, and I think that's, if the very least of this, we're watching this maturing process on Nephi's part, and I love this. Okay? All right? And again, I knew that the Lord had delivered Laban into my hands. Now, so, I think a lot of, I think a lot of times people either, uh, inside the church or outside the church have asked the question 
Was there another way that this could have been accomplished? It's possible. Don't know. I think, I think it's debatable. There might, given the circumstances, there might not have been any other choice but to, to chop Laban's head off, and that was probably, based on what Nephi did, that's probably what needed to occur. But we can, I think it's okay to ask, could they have done something else? I don't know. Yeah. Could have. Or had him already dead. Yeah. Yeah. Or or tie him up and do the same thing. I don't know, but but as far as Nephi is concerned, he feels like this is the course that needs to action and I've thought my way through it and I think I need to do this. Yeah. Revulsion. Uh, it's our, our nat- right, and I and the interesting thing is we don't get Nephi's reaction later, so I think we are meant to struggle with this a bit, and and I think that's the purpose of this. We're not getting some clear answers, and you can get either way. Yeah. So the the question was there another way this could have been accomplished? The the two things that I find uh, challenging about that is we're assuming this is obtaining the plates. Okay, but to me, that's a little myopic because this is obtaining the plates, getting out of Dodge, and not being chased. That's right, that's right. So, so that there's more involved. And uh, then there's this, is, there's maybe another way they could have gotten plates with the law on it, but would they have been plates that had uh, Nephi's uh, family history on it? Absolutely, yeah, absolutely. And I think those are great questions, yeah. Well, talking about it could have been done a different way. The Lord could have done it a different way. He could have told Lehi, hey, Lehi, on your way out of town, stop, stop by Zoram. <laughs> Absolutely. The Lord you know, could have done it a different way. I know, and didn't. <laughs> yeah, another hand. Oh, I was just thinking, they talked with Laban for a while, so he may have figured out that they had left town. And so he knew yeah. they weren't in town anymore, and so yeah, even easier to follow them. By the way, we don't know if Lehi didn't stop by Laban. He, he might have, and then I'm going to send the boys back again, try one more time. Because mm-hmm. I, 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 didn't, I think, didn't think it was as big a deal. Once I got out there in the wilderness, I'm like, oh, shoot. How many times you got to church and went, I should have brought my scriptures. <laughs> and didn't. Yeah. So one more thing in the timeline that we haven't thought a lot about is how long it took Nephi to undress Laban so that he could have his clothes clean before he cut his head off. Yeah. yeah. That was his first plan. I'll just take his clothes. I'll bake his voice. I'll get the records. And he's got all the clothes off. Yeah. Says, don't leave yet. You got one more thing to do. Yes, yes. Could okay. See, you're doing the thinking I hope you would do, (laughs) which is ask questions, think it through, and then you can come to a conclusion. And I think that's why I say a lot of people can have different conclusions and decide what we're being taught here. There's no no time in this timeline where Nephi has a conversation with Laban. That's right. Yeah, other than whatever he would have heard, unless, as it's been suggested, that Laban might have been somewhere in the family. Okay. All right. Now, 
Um, by the way, I, the, one other piece I'll throw here. Remember I was talking last time about the fact that we have a, an interesting little discussion, um, uh, an interview that was given by Joseph Smith Sr. to a man by, by the name of Latham in Palmyra in 1830. One of the things in, in, in regards to the 116 pages, the loss of that, okay? One of the things that comes out in that story, interestingly enough, and there's no way to know whether it's accurate, is that one of the reasons why Laban was out at night wearing his sword in, in some kind of ceremonial garb is that this happened during a festival. This was a festival, maybe the Feast of Tabernacles. And he's out meeting with the, his, the elders because they're celebrating that night. That's why they were drinking. And that's why he's all dressed up in all kinds of garb. Because he may not have normally had to be running around in a sword. Okay, yeah. Here and then here. One of the things I, I think too is that through this process that the Lord uh, was allowing him to see that to be a leader, you have to do hard things sometimes. And sometimes you do. You have to make decisions that are for the best. Well, and and not only that, as a leader, because because she's saying sometimes leaders have to do hard things. Look at what happened here. This was a combination of inspiration and guidance, and Lee and Nephi having to think it through. And by the way, this option was the third of three. They'd already tried other things. So sometimes, as a parent or someone in a calling, you're going to try a number of things, and guess what? They won't work. So you so that you go back to the drawing board and the spirit, and try to try to do it again. And I think that's okay. Yeah. I was trying to think. Moses killed someone, and that's why he left Pharaoh's palace, right? Yeah, he did. And maybe Nephi just killed someone, and he has to leave Jerusalem. Yeah, this would have certainly closed the door behind them, you know, because ultimately people are going to find that uh, the plates are gone and that uh, Zoram's gone and. Okay. His rhetoric is different. If you read, if you read carefully, you'll find that there is a his his um, context is brought. He's seen a bigger picture, including everything that's going to happen to generations down there. Okay. Now, uh, one last one last thing uh, before we wrap up here. Okay. And I wanted to grab a picture of the treasury building from uh, Petra. L listen closely what he says after he does, after, after the deed is done. Listen to what he says. And, and it's something I didn't realize until yesterday, and it just kind of hit me as I'm looking at it. Anytime I see repetition in the scriptures, it's time to pay attention. There's something here. Don't know exactly, but I have an idea of what's here. Okay? After I had done this, he says... I went forth where? To the treasury of Laban. Ah, well, that's interesting. No, really. As I went forth towards the treasury of Laban, who's he going to run into? Uh, Zoram. And I saw the servant of Laban. What, did Zoram, what role did Zoram play? He had the keys to the treasury. Okay. Did I tell you there was a treasury? Yes. Did I tell you that that's where the plates are? Yes. Okay. And by the way, I commanded him in the voice of Laban to do what? We should go under the treasury. <laughs> where are the plates? In the treasury. 
I just thought I'd let you know four times in one verse. <laughs> now, th there could be a lot of reasons for that. Let me give you my off-the-hand idea on this, okay? What do you put in a treasury? Treasure. Treasures. What do you put in a library? Books. If you want to read something, where do you go? The library. If you want to store up something, where do you put it? In the treasury. The, if you think, uh, I, I was thinking the other day, um, if I could take the, the scriptures that tell the best story of the plan of salvation, the relationship between God and man and what he expects of us, and I could have the Mount Rushmore of these scriptures, the four scripture, the four chapters that tell the best short explanation of the relationship, the plan of salvation, man to God. What four would I choose? What would go on my Mount Rushmore of scriptures? Anybody have some that would jump out at you? Pearl of Great Price. Pearl of Great Price, which one? <laughs> the whole thing. No, you have to be more specific. Moses 7. Moses 7. That is probably my number, that's probably the big George Washington face for me. <laughs> Moses 7, the weeping God. Okay, what else? Alma 32. The parable of the, the seed, right? Okay, He's right there, there's Lincoln. <laughs> Alma to Corianton. Alma to Corianton is a great section, but didn't make it to my Mount Mushroom. Mount. <laughs> yes. Right behind that, I put uh, Jacob 5. How the whole plan of salvation works over time. Okay? I put Jacob 5. Okay? Moses 7, Alma 32, and then I've included one more, and that is uh, Romans 8, probably 7 and 8. Who can separate you know, the, us from the love of God? No heights, no depths, principalities. You know, that's my Mount Rushmore. Well, Think about what we have in the Book of Mormon as a result of having the brass plates. The, Jacob 5 is on that brass plates. The, the teachings of uh, Zenoch and Zenos and Nahum. We get all of these great that teach us about what? Christ. How Christ works. How Christ loves us. What Christ will do for us. We have all of those kind of things. And if they had remained with Zoram, where would those plates with all of that incredible gospel knowledge have been? Babylon. In the treasury. Stayed in the treasury. Maybe Babylon, when they raise everything, maybe they take that off and they put it somewhere as an artifact sitting in the hanging gardens of Babylon, maybe. Okay? But at the very least, they're sitting in the treasure. Who's reading the brass plates under Zoram? Nobody. Where are they? They're in the treasury. They're not in the library where people can access them. So part of getting them out of Zoram's cold dead fingers <laughs> and out to Lehi is that Lehi can read it and understand it and then record it in a way that if, if we hadn't have got those brass plates, we wouldn't have that. Yeah. I was just thinking of a treasury, the fact that it had his genealogy. 
you treasured your family history, it would be a treasure. Yeah, you would think. She's saying maybe it's in there because it's part of the treasury and we treasure our... But if it's sitting in the treasury, nobody's going to know about the genealogy. Right. Isn't it interesting? If you treasure something, you put it in the library. It's like having, if you have this incredible mansion of a Book of Mormon, and you put it under glass, <laughs> where we can all look at it but never read it. Well, all of this stuff comes because we have the small plates and Nephi didn't put this in the treasury. He put it in the record and then wanted his seed to read it. And that's why it's available to us. Does that make sense? I just thought it was interesting. I just, I kept thinking, why would he repeat treasury so often? And it's just like this incredible thing that is of a great treasure to us, but it's only a great treasure to us if we do what? Read it. Read it. And to do that, we've got to get it from the treasury to the library. Where we'll study. And then from the library, where? Uh, the, the, the prophet said, you're going to write the law where? On the soft places of your heart. Get it there. Yeah. Treasure it up in your heart. Yeah, and treasure it up. That's right. The, the word is even used. Okay? So don't put it, treasure it in your heart. Just don't treasure it in the place where you put all of your valuables. <laughs> okay? All right. Final comments on all of this. There's a lot of, a lot of good stuff. Yes, lady in the back. <laughs> One of the things that I hadn't thought about before was when you put at the very beginning when you put the uh, picture of the beautiful mansion up. You know, I talked about how it has hallways and doors and all that. And um, it made me think that there are places in the scriptures that we read just as a matter of fact and then we just keep going. Because, you know, it's in scriptures, we've read it a million times, and, and, and just keep going. But if we were, if we were opening doors, yeah. that if we opened up the door where uh, Nephi is about to kill Laban in a very gruesome kind of a way, or if, Ab or if we open up an another door where Abraham of actually being about to bring a knife down to sacrifice his son, when we open up those doors and we see things like that, we should be going, ah! We should. Instead of just going, okay, yeah, this happened. And, and <laughs> yeah. It, it should uh, I, I, raise something within That's us right. Goes, ah, I can't believe yeah. it. If, if we're treasuring this, we should be reacting to these things. Rather than like we said, so, you know, so Moses says, who's on the Lord's side, who? You guys aren't, so we'll wipe out thousands. Or we're going to send the Israelites into Canaan, kill every man, woman, and child, and pet. Okay, I guess God just commanded that. We should react. And then we've got to react. What are we going to do? How do we feel about that? And I think that's what the Lord intends with some of this stuff. Yeah. We left off one possibility. I can't imagine I would have left off one possibility. <laughs> and that is that if they had been left to be taken to Babylon, they'd have been melted down. Yeah. Yeah, I don't think we'd have had the brass plate sitting. We wouldn't have had that knowledge, however, what was going to happen next. Because the, the city is burned. In fact, now, even now, when you go through the old city and you look at some of the stones, you can still see the burn marks from, from where those stones were 
on fire and, and brass could burn at a high temperature. Couldn't it? Yeah. I'm kind of thinking about not to wander too far off, but it's never stopped us before, Craig, yeah, from wandering Eve's off. Eve's decision; she took nobody's life but her own and Adam's. But that we don't know, we don't get quite the soliloquy that he went through. But she had quite a decision. To make. Eve had another really tough one. Yeah, I think, and I think the scriptures are full of prophets and righteous people having to make difficult decisions. And guess what? So do we. That's, that's the value, I think, of having our own emotional reaction to this stuff. Yeah. I'll go on Cindy's comments. Yeah. I stop and think, too. It's putting us in the position of going through the, the same kind of inner uh, struggle that Nephi went through. We have to make a decision. Yeah. Yeah, oftentimes we make decisions that change us. And I guess I'm just going to suggest that if God is telling you to kill somebody, uh, think about it first. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. She, she, she's, that's a good point. If, if I've got it in the treasury, I can control it. And maybe that's a way of controlling people. And this might have been where some of the plain and precious truths, especially about the Messiah, were kept back from the people. I think that's, I think that's, a, that's a, a great point. Um, all right. Is that, that plenty? Heads full? Mm. And think of what would happen. How long would it have taken you? It's now taken us seven lessons to get through the first four chapters. <laughs> think about how many times you've, you've sat down an afternoon and went, boom, 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 and you were done. Wow. Yeah. He, okay, yeah, he killed Laban. Okay, next. There's a lot here. And I just love that we have a, a setting and an opportunity to slow it down just a little bit and open up the depth that is here. Look at some of the little byways inside the, the mansion. So uh, I'm thankful for you guys and uh, our ability to do this. And I leave that with you in Jesus' name. Amen.